Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. We're going to be looking at Exodus uh, 20, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to verse 13. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, verse 13, you shall not murder. Um, Pastor Bill, if you want to come up, we'll pray for our service. Lord, we thank you for this day, uh, for this opportunity, Lord, just to come and hear your word. Um, we just pray that you would open our hearts to hear the message you have for us today, Lord. Pray for Pastor Billy that he would speak boldly, and um, Holy Spirit, that we would hear those words from you and that you would mold and shape our hearts um, and just speak to us in the way that you need to this week. We give you glory and honor and praise, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. So today we come to the sixth word, but before we jump into that, you may have seen these little cards uh, in your seat in the pews. If you would do me a favor and put that in your pocket and give that to your friend. Um, so these are invite cards. These are ways for you to connect with other folks, to invite people, to let them know that, hey, we did, we moved, right? There's some folks I know who actually went to Little Guatemala, despite all of our, you know, press out there to like kind of let people know. And so we want to let people know, hey, we're in a new spot and it's a good chance for you to invite others. And so if you really want to help me out, you might not, you might see an empty pew. Go ahead and snag all of those. Put those in your pocket as well to hand out. So today we come to the sixth word. We are walking through a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. These are commandments which occur three times in the Old Testament, and they literally mean ten words. Ten words given by God to his people on how to live in the world. And today we come to the sixth word, do not murder, right? And so we're, we've been walking through these commandments. We, we've been seeing these 10 words, not as legislation from a cosmic bureaucrat that's trying to ruin everyone's fun. I hope that you don't think murder is fun, but we'll get there. Rather, this is wise instruction from a loving father who knows what his kids need to thrive, right? That, that's the idea. So here's what I want you to do. I, wanna, I want you to imagine... You've got a, a weekend, you're away, you're up in the winding mountain roads, right? You're up in the high country, you know, you're going to have some, uh, some good time up there. And you're driving on one of these winding mountain roads. You're enjoying the beautiful scenery. You roll your windows down and it just mm, smells fresh. It's wonderful when suddenly there's a car behind you in your rearview mirror. And they are honking their horns, they're flashing their lights, they're driving recklessly, they're trying to pass you, and you are getting very frustrated because they're endangering both you and themselves. So your heart starts racing, right? You're trying to navigate this dangerous curvy road. You feel this urge to kind of, I don't know, maybe slam on your brakes, brake check this guy for being a fool, right? You're getting angry. You're going to teach this guy a lesson. But you look in your rearview mirror, and you see that the driver is freaking out, and beside him in the passenger seat, is a pregnant woman who's clearly in labor. Suddenly, right, your anger starts to dissipate and you slow down, right? You cut your flashers on and you wave him around you. It's moments like this that make us realize maybe we should calm down, take a deep breath, and realize the preciousness of every moment that we have on this earth. But this is the essence of the commandment, you shall not murder. 
It's a reminder to honor and cherish life, even, even in the most trying circumstances, and to act with compassion and empathy towards others. Really, here's our big idea this morning. It's simply this. Honor life. Honor life. This is a commandment that you and I might be tempted to just zoom right through, right? Don't murder. No problem. Done. Got it, right? But as we've seen with the other commandments, this is a little bit more challenging than you may expect. And we're going to break down this commandment, the same that we've been doing all of them, with four questions. What does this command reveal about God? What does this command reveal about us? How does this command point us to Jesus, and how does it show us the path of life? So let's start first with, what does this command reveal about God? What does this command reveal about God? What does it say about God that he would command his people to not murder each other? Well, it says that he cares deeply about life. God values human life. This word, you shall not murder, shows that God not only values human life, but he sees it as sacred. Now, this seems like a no-brainer for us, right? We know that taking someone else's life is wrong, right? I hope, I hope that we have the self-control to avoid doing this at all costs. No matter how angry we might get, we probably aren't going to go to murder. So what's really going on here? What is God trying to teach us through this commandment? Well, let's take a closer look at this commandment. Let's consider what it says about the nature of human life. So when God commands us not to murder, what he is saying is that human life, again, it's sacred, it's valuable, and that we should not treat it lightly or without respect. But why, right? Why is human life so valuable? What makes it different from animals or plants or other forms of life on this planet? Well, the answer, friends, lies in the status of what theologians call the imago Dei, that we are bearers of God's image, right? When God spoke us into existence, when God created humans, he stamped us with his own image and likeness. He gave us a unique, special place in his creation. So when we take life, we're not just killing another living creature. We're snuffing out something that was created in the image of God, something that reflects his glory, reflects his character. When we murder, we're committing an act of sacrilege, of blasphemy, of ultimate rebellion against our creator. See, the sixth word, friends, it's not just a rule to follow. It's not just a box to check. It's a reminder of the sacredness, the dignity of human life, and of our responsibility to honor and protect that life at all times. When we live in light of this commandment, we become agents of life. We promote healing, peace, justice in a world that is all too often filled with violence and death. This commandment reflects God's concern for justice, his desire to protect the innocent. Consider what this command is saying, that God cares for life, yes, but he's also just, that he holds people accountable for taking the life of another, that God is righteous, he's a judge who cares about justice and fairness, that God's a protector, right? It's not only against taking life, but it's a call to protect and preserve life. God's a protector who cares for the well-being of his people and desires that we live in a way that brings glory to him. You see, in Eden, in the garden, we had peace and harmony with one another. But when relationship with God was broken, what's the first sin that's committed following the exit from the garden? It's murder. It's a brother killing a brother. 
This word, as the others, what it reveals is that God is holy. He is other. He has weight. And this command, you shall not murder, it's a part of God's moral law that he gives to his people to reflect his holiness, his righteous character. That God is a God of moral purity who desires his people to live in a way that's different, that reflects his character, that reflects his holiness. What this commandment does is it takes a multifaceted view, right? If you hold a diamond up, it's got many faces, as does this command, showing us the character of God, that God's a creator, that he cares for his creation, that he's a father, he cares for his children. But what about us? What does this command reveal about us? Well, what kind of people need to be commanded not to murder? People who are prone to murder. Now, there's there's a very important distinction between killing and murder, right? There are specific laws in the Old Testament about self-defense. There's room to talk about everything from the death penalty to that in varied ways. We can interpret the difference. We could argue about it. We could get all up in killing and murder, but that is not what we're going to do today, right? There's certainly a place for that conversation, but this command is specifically looking at the idea of intentional murder or unintentional murder through negligence, Right? So think of a drunk driver swerving off the road, that kind of negligence. Now for you and I, when we look at our culture, do you guys think murder is ever present in the world? The answer is definitively, yeah, absolutely, it's huge. I mean, between three men alone, over 100 million murders occurred. Hitler, Mao, and Stalin. And maybe we think, well, that was then, we live in a more peaceful time now, but it's only February and we've already had 71 mass shootings. It's not as though we only experience murder through the news of tragedy, though. I mean, we watch murder for entertainment. By the age of 18, and this is an old statistic, so I'm certain it's more now. By the age of 18, the average American will have seen over 80,000 deaths in TVs, movies, and video games. And I I think that's old because I'm pretty sure I saw a trailer for a game this week that had like at least 100, right? Many of us, we we feed on murder, right? We listen to true crime podcasts and TV shows. We become so desensitized to uh, to, to detailed recounts of people being maimed. We're just like, "Mm, yeah, I wonder who did it, right? We're just so obsessed with murder. Now, listen, we hear this, we know this, and in our hearts and our minds, we know we live in an increasingly violent time. It's not news to you. But you're thinking maybe to yourself, well, yeah, but I have enough self-control to, like, not murder someone. But here's the thing. Jesus' words are going to challenge us to look beyond the thin obedience that we often seek to apply to God's word and his commands. Look what Jesus does with this command in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 21 of Matthew 5, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment gulp. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Oh my. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penalty. Ouch. That's heavy, right? I mean, none of us should read that command and be like, 
that's so relieving, right? That's pretty terrifying. Jesus is saying that we must not think that we're safe because we've not shed blood, right? If you come in and you're like, haven't killed anyone today, like you don't get a merit badge for that. We are guilty, guilty enough to receive punishment if we harbor anger and contempt. Jesus says, in essence, you may think you are removed from murder morally, but friend, you're wrong. Have you ever wished that someone were dead? Then your heart has known murder, friends. In light of this quorum day, we cannot escape this truth. You ready for it? We are all murderers. We have all murdered others in our mind and our heart. We have had wicked and evil hatred that is just as foul as murder in God's sight. And here again, we see that the radical righteousness that Jesus demands, it's not merely a refraining from just outward sin. It's not just being a good person. It's interior. It's what's happening inside of us. What is happening in your heart, friends? We are made to see that our only hope is Christ. Jesus is the one who fulfilled all righteousness and offers it to us as a free gift. And Jesus' radical demand is meant to drive us to him for grace. What Jesus is doing is he's warning us about the dangers of anger and pushing us to the importance of reconciliation. This passage, it reveals the truth about our hearts, doesn't it? That we have a tendency to harbor resentment. We do. We have a tendency to grow bitter towards others. Think back again to my opening illustration and put yourself behind the wheel again. I'm thinking a lot about this because I went to uh, Florida this week and I drove to the airport and there was a lot of accidents And uh, there's this thing that happens when you're in a traffic jam where everyone decides that they're exempt to the traffic jam. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I need to get over now. And I'm going to get to the further lane. I'm in Charlotte. I'm like, this is why I don't live here. I hate this, right? It was driving me crazy. Now imagine you're driving down the highway and someone cuts you off, right? Just pulls right in front of you. That's never happened to you, I'm sure, right? You're forced to slam on the brakes and you see this fool, right? And and, yes, you hear that word? It's intentional. You see this person. They're sitting there. They've got a burrito in one hand and their phone in the other and doing this number. You know, you ever seen that? I've seen it too many times, right? And you just start to get so angry and frustrated. This person is just, I mean, utterly negligent. You honk your horn, you shout a few choice words, and you speed up to get past this person. And as you drive away, you start to feel justified, right? You got around them. That guy was a jerk. I mean, after all, that guy was clearly in the wrong But as you continue down the road, you realize that your anger, it's not going away. The more you think about it, the angrier you get, the more annoyed you get. It's starting to take root in your heart. You're seething with resentment. Every time you start to think about this incident, your blood begins to boil. Friends, this is the danger of unchecked anger. Anger doesn't just dissipate. It can take root in our hearts. It can grow into bitterness. It can grow into resentment, and it poisons our relationships, and it poisons our own well-being. It does. But Jesus offers a way out. He calls us instead to seek reconciliation, to lay aside our anger, to lay aside our bitterness, and to pursue peace with others. So in this example of this person cutting you off, maybe reconciliation means taking a deep breath, letting go of anger, and realizing that perhaps you should be practicing what we talked about a few weeks ago, the spirit of Sabbath, and rest in God to keep the world spinning instead of you. Maybe you should give the other driver the benefit of the doubt. Take a deep breath and let it go. Maybe it means choosing to forgive even when we don't feel like it. Maybe it means seeking to understand the other person's perspective. 
It's not easy, is it? The way to keep this command, friends, is to walk in the way of Jesus. And that requires, <laughs> that requires us falling at his feet, asking him for humility, for grace, for a willingness to let go of our pride, for a willingness to let go of our desire for revenge. But as we follow Jesus' example, we're gonna find that our relationships are transformed, right? Our hearts are filled with joy and peace, and we experience the freedom that comes from living in the light of God's love and grace. So let me just ask you this. Do you harbor bitterness this morning? I mean, is there someone that you just disdain? Maybe this morning, if you're honest, you see the ways in which you have been holding hatred for people who think differently than you. If you find yourself, if you find yourself ever thinking, those people, then today you need to be reminded that those people are made in the image of God. View them through his eyes. Jesus says that if you love only the people who look like you, dress like you, root for the things that you root for, and vote for the people that you vote for, well, that's no big deal because everybody does that. What about your enemies? What about the people who mistreat you? What about the people who don't understand you? Did you notice what Jesus says at the end of Matthew 5, verse 26? He says that you, <laughs> if you are the person that is angry, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. If you insist on pouring out the cup of your wrath, there's another cup for you to drink. And as he is apt to do, Jesus makes this one commandment that we thought we were pretty good at <laughs> into one that we all feel pretty bad about. I mean, which one of us has not been unrighteously angry this week? I mean, there's a way to be righteous in anger, right? Jesus shows us that. Like, right, we, maybe you've been infuriated at sex trafficking. Maybe it's broken your heart and shattered you. But that's not the way that most of us are angry, is it? We show it in the way that we speak to our spouse, in the way that we silently judge others, the way that we explode at our children over the simplest things. When somebody... <laughs> drives in front of us, slamming on their brakes. You would think that they had cursed your whole family line, right? Jesus says, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. That's how serious anger is, friends. That's what anger does. It imprisons you. It binds you. It holds you captive. It gives birth to bitterness and hatred. Perhaps someone wounded you deeply. Someone hurt you in a devastating way. What should we do? Jesus says, forgive them. Seek reconciliation. Now imagine you're walking through a forest. You come across a beautiful tree. It's got gnarled roots. It's got this towering trunk. As you come up on the tree, you notice that there are initials carved into the bark. You realize that this tree has been marked by generations of visitors who've left their own marks on the tree. And as you look more closely, you notice something else, that some of the marks on the tree are deep and, and jagged while others are barely visible. Some have been etched into the wood with care while others have just been haphazardly scratched in. But no matter what the marks look like, they all tell a story of the people who made them. Friends, this is a picture of forgiveness. But just like the tree, our lives are marked by the wounds and the hurts that we have experienced. Some of these wounds are deep and painful, while others are barely noticeable. But no matter what they look like, they all tell a story of the people who have hurt us. Forgiveness is the act, friends, of carving a new mark into that tree. 
It's the choice to let go of the hurt and the pain and to leave behind a mark of grace and mercy instead. You see, forgiveness does not erase the wounds or the memories, but it changes the story. It changes the story that we tell with our lives. As we choose to forgive, we become like that tree, Mark, not just by the hurts we've experienced, but by the grace and the mercy that we have been shown and that we show to others. And just like that tree, our lives become a living testimony to the power of forgiveness and the goodness of a God who can bring beauty out of brokenness. We are a people who wound and have been wounded. And this word reveals a painful truth, friends, that we are murderers in our hearts. So how does this commandment, third, point us to Jesus? How does it point us to Jesus? As we've seen, Jesus himself affirms this commandment against murder, and he expands it to not only include physical violence, but anger and hatred. He shows us that the commandment against murder is not just about physical violence, but about the attitude of our heart towards others. Jesus is reframing this word. He shows us the reality, friends, that we need a savior. And so Jesus himself was the ultimate victim of violence as he was unjustly arrested, beaten, and crucified to be that savior. We have left deep marks of sinful brokenness. But Jesus doesn't just carve over those marks. Instead, he was stretched out on a tree for us to cover our iniquity. Friends, Jesus was murdered. Think of that cup of wrath you have let spill out into your life. We've all had this cup of wrath at some point. Maybe you're not an outwardly angry person. Maybe you're calm and Gentile in presence, but internally you have held rage in your hearts. You've been fuming, scheming, steaming mad, drinking our bubbling, exploding cup of wrath. So what do we do? Well, we look to the garden, Garden of Gethsemane, and we find Jesus there with another cup. As he's facing his death on the cross, he prays, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is that cup that Jesus is talking about? It's not the cup of our boiling wrath, but of God's wrath against sinners like us. It's his righteous, perfect anger directed towards people who live in rebellion People who have often displayed such unrighteous, unholy anger. And Jesus says, if this is the only way, Father, I'll take it. We deserve that cup. But Jesus took it upon himself. The only one who never violated any of these commands. The only one who never committed murder in the least degree in his heart. He was murdered for angry murderers like us. We've all poured out that cup of wrath on one another, but only Jesus drank from that cup for us. But our Lord, even in the midst of great violence against him, he doesn't respond with anger. He doesn't respond with hatred. Instead, he prays for his enemies. He forgives them. In Luke 23, he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In this way, Jesus demonstrates that even in the face of violence, even in the face of injustice, We're called to love, to forgive our enemies. Friends, this command, it points us to life over death. Forgiveness over hatred. Peace over anger. 
This word, friend, it points us to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the source of life. He himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As we follow Jesus, we're called to value, to protect the lives of those around us. We're called from the self-centered rage that we hold to instead be peacemakers. This means not only refraining from physical violence, but also seeking to promote the well-being and flourishing of other people. This command against murder, it points us to Jesus as the only one who teaches us what it means to love and to forgive our enemies. The one who calls us to value and protect the lives of those around us. Friends, when we follow Jesus, when we fall at his feet, we can find the strength and courage to actually live out this command in our lives. And so this leads us to ask, well, how? (laughs) How do we do this? How does this command lead us to the path of life? Let me just say this. Our rage is quite literally killing us. The statistics of what holding on to anger and bitterness does to you is staggering. Everything from giving you increased shortness of breath to literal heart attacks and strokes. Anger leads us to a place of seething bitterness and weariness. So let me just ask you this morning, are you tired? Are you tired of the rage coursing through your veins? We live in the age of outrage where it's, it's a virtue to be angry about something. And the sixth word would have us look to the Lord and to his character. Do you remember what God says of himself in Exodus 34, 6? This is what he said as he passes by Moses. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Friends, when we honor and keep the sixth word, we are living in the peace of our God. When we live out this command, we honor the imago Dei, the image of God and others. Rather than holding rage against someone who has wronged you, thinks differently than you, frustrates you, instead you see that person as a fellow image bearer in need of grace. So what does it look like practically to honor this command? Micah 6.8 tells us, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Friends, when we walk humbly with God, we honor life. He produces in us the fruit of his spirit. Friends, this is the opposite of a murderous heart. It's a heart that's shaped by the hope of Jesus. So let me ask, do you love kindness? Is that something that you're asking the Spirit to produce in you? Another way to think about it is this, Proverbs 15.1, right? We should go to the Proverbs more in our life. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Are you quick to give a gentle answer? Think about the ways we respond, friends. When our kid drives us nuts, when our spouse says something carelessly, when someone at work drives us crazy, when things happen, are we quick to slow down and give a gentle answer, a soft word? Or do we respond with a harsh one? We say this, hurtful behaviors, right, such as violence, scorn, gossip, and slander. Do you know what they do? They injure both the victim 
and the perpetrator. They injure both the one who's being hurt by them and the one who's doing the hurting. The hurtful behavior, it's certainly, right, it devastates that person that you're, you're spewing all that vitriol at. But the hate that lies beneath it eats you alive. It clouds your thinking. It cripples your heart. It diminishes your soul. You know what a rattlesnake does when it's cornered? It gets so angry sometimes that it bites itself. When you harbor hatred or bitterness in your heart, you're poisoning yourself just like the rattlesnake that bites itself. In the end, those who injure become as miserable as those whom they injure. Those who vandalize someone else's body, spirit, or good name, they also vandalize themselves. This is why the Bible is so careful to warn that all anger, including the constructive righteous kind, okay, should be arrived at slowly and not from a reactive hair trigger. We're gonna be in the book of James later this year, but let's go ahead and look at James 1, verse 19. It says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Many of us need to be humble and realize that we've allowed culture and fleeting moments to shape us rather than the word of God. And that's something we should repent of. We should be shaped by God's word and by his spirit. When we are slow to anger through a spirit of meekness, what do we do? We express the image of God in us. You see, our God is both perfectly righteous and catch this, he is the universe's chief offended party. There's one person who gets to be angry and he's slow to anger. Do you know what he does? He forgives all of our iniquity. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in steadfast love. This morning, many of us need to repent and to ask the Lord to give us quiet mouths or maybe quiet fingers that are quick to type. And in its place, give us gracious listening ears. And we need the Spirit to help us keep this command. He delights to carry this redemptive work of, of shaping us to his character. There's a lady who heard a sermon once um, about anger. She got really frustrated the longer the pastor went on. She came up to him trying to rationalize her angry outburst. And she said, listen, pastor, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I just blow up and then it's all over. He looked at her and said, so does a shotgun. And look at the damage it leaves behind. Friends, getting angry can sometimes be like leaping into a brand new, amazingly responsive Tesla, gunning the accelerator, taking off at high speed, and then discovering that the brakes don't work. Would God shape us to be a people who honor life, who bear his name, who walk like Jesus? To the words of your mouth, reflect the king of your heart. Does the rage that you hold look like Jesus? I would wager no. I wanna ask four questions to help us think about how we can apply this command. First question, where am I prone 
to break this command. Apparently, for me, it's in the car, right? So I got to pray about that, right? Where am I prone to break this command? What leads me to anger, right? Second, who am I holding anger or bitterness against? I know this is a painful question, friends. I know some of you carry deep wounds. But if we're gonna say that we believe in Jesus, if we're gonna say that we believe in someone who literally rose from the dead, then we have to believe that he cares about not just what we do on a Sunday morning, but the depths of our soul, of our hearts, and the wounds that we carry. So where am I holding on to anger or bitterness? Who am I holding it against? Where might I need to repent? Third, is there someone I need to reconcile with? What steps can I take to do this? This is one that you might need to work out in community. I know that it's, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that this command comes on the tail end of last week, <laughs> right? Many of us have wounds in our families and Jesus would see them redeemed. Is there someone I need to reconcile with? What steps can I take to do this? And then fourth, how does Jesus' sacrifice help me to overcome this? How does Jesus' sacrifice help me to overcome this? I'll close with this. We have got to come together as a people to be shaped by God's word. As long as we think that this is part of my life on Sunday, and then I'm a different person at work, and I'm a different person over here with my kids and my family, and we fragment our heart, then we fragment our souls. These 10 words are convicting and challenging because they shape us, friends, to see that we need Jesus and we need each other to point us back to him. So this morning, repent of sin. Confess your need for Jesus. Come to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are a people prone to violence. Maybe not in outward expressions. Maybe we don't punch holes in walls or push people. But we feel the rage that courses through our veins. We are bound to this, Lord. You tell us that we are prisoners to it. Countless, countless statistics show us how anger is killing us. Lord, would we stand opposed to our culture would our souls be bound captive to scripture? Would we be a people, Lord, who walk in the way of Jesus, who live with newness of life? Oh God, shape us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.